Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Hi, everyone. So glad you could join us for another episode of Adweek's Most Powerful Woman in Sports. I'm Lisa Granitstein, and it's here where the world's greatest marketers, media pros, athletes, and coaches share their remarkable career journeys and how they achieve peak performance. Today, we'll be speaking with Katrina Adams, former president, CEO of the United States Tennis Association. Katrina also is author of Own the Arena, Getting Ahead, Making a Difference, and Succeeding as the Only One. It's both a memoir and a career playbook. We'll talk about Katrina's career, the role of mental health in sports, and what it's like to host and report on the U.S. Open in New York. Katrina was one of a few black women on the pro circuit in the late 80s, one of several top black coaches, the first black commentator of the Tennis Channel, and the only black woman and youngest person to hold the post of USTA Chief Executive Officer. And now let's dive in. Katrina, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Welcome. I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me. It's exciting. Thank thank you for being here. Really appreciate it. Um, So much to ask you. But before we even get started, uh, I think I'd like to hear a little bit about how you got your start in tennis. I mean, you were a pro. So how did you work your way up to the Grand Slams? Let's start right there. We don't have enough time for that, but you know, in a nutshell, I kind of stumbled on the sport as a six-year-old tag along sister with my brothers who were seven and nine years older than I, it was a program for nine to 18 year olds. And I had to sit outside the fence for a couple of weeks until I badgered them so much that they finally let me in uh, with the approval of my, of my parents. 
And it was from that moment when I first struck a tennis ball that I loved it. I fell in love with it. And I had a coach that was at that program that took me under his wing, you know, brought me along, took me to his mentor as, as my next coach. And I kind of went up the chain and ladder from junior tournaments to a high school state champion, uh, both my junior and senior year, college a scholarship at Northwestern University. And then I went on to play professional tennis for 12 years. So, you know, it was a, it was a journey. It was a labor of love. And it was just uh, something that I honestly loved from the first moment that I hit a tennis ball. And, and how far did you get in the Grand Slam? You actually played Chris Everett Lloyd or Chris Everett, right? I did. I did. I played Chrissy. Uh, I played Chrissy in doubles twice. I played her in singles once in the fourth round of Wimbledon in my rookie year. And uh, I got to the semifinals of doubles also at Wimbledon in my rookie year. But I made it to the quarterfinals of doubles in all Grand Slams multiple times, uh, ranked as high as eight in the world in doubles and 67 in singles. So not too shabby of a career. Not bad at all. Wow. So I'm, you know, you've, you've, you've been there for a long time, both um, as a player, as a coach, as an executive. First, tell me, what was it like being a woman competing in the 80s? And in what ways do you think tennis has changed and in other ways has it not? Yeah, so I turned pro in 1988. So just on the on the end 80s. of the 80s yeah. and I played all of the 90s. So it was, um, you know, I didn't know what to expect when you when you go into a space, an unknown space. I wasn't, it wasn't like today where you actually watch uh, professional tennis 24 seven and mm-hmm. you get a feel for what the atmosphere is like and the players, et cetera. So, you know, I kind of went into a blind on, on what to expect. Uh, having played the, the juniors or at the U S open, I played that a couple of times. So I knew what that felt like, but when you start traveling all over the world, when you're in a different city, different country, you know, weekend and week out, it's very different. It's very challenging, but I was, I was lucky. I came in under the arms of Zena Garrison and her coach. So I had the professionals that had been there, done that, and w- were able to kind of guide me along the way. But it was competitive. Uh, it was challenging because, you know, you're as women, we are so competitive and it's very difficult to really kind of socialize off the court with those that you're competing with on a daily basis. Um, I had a lot of friends who were actually, my, more of my friends were foreign than they were American. And I think just because we had that mentality of growing up in in juniors and playing each other in college, if they played on the tour, but, you know, I was very fortunate. I I, I built some lifelong friendships from the top players all the way down um, and everything in between. And it's just a blessing because, uh, you know, so life's experiences that really prepare you for the rest of your life. And and those are the experiences that I got that really took me to the next level when I, when I turned to the coaching and then the business side. What, what aspect of it do you think really made that transition to coaching and, or that helped inform your coaching? Well, from the coaching perspective, I mean, you're, you're watching Mm -hmm. so much tennis uh, from Mm -hmm. a, from a child really growing up, but I was always one to go and sit next to other coaches while they were, while a friend of mine may have been playing on the court. And so I'm listening to them critique. So I started to learn how to look through a different lens, not just as a player, but as a coach, giving that advice and and really being able to give some some feedback. And so when I retired, I actually went right into being a national coach for the USTA. And I was working with, with our young girls that were actually making the transition from juniors to the pros 
uh, immediately. These were some, some really top players that we had a great experience, but you know, you really become, you're not just a coach at that point. You're the mentor, you're the chaperone, you know, sometimes you're the mom. It's, it's so many hats that you, you start to wear in that capacity, yeah. but it really taught me how to, uh, you know, be nimble and to be more disciplined in my time and, and manage my time even more so when you're managing the time of others. Um, there's a lot of different nuances that you find yourself becoming um, expert in, an expert in um, as yeah. you go through the, through the channels. And, and then you made your way to actually being an executive and rising through the ranks of USTA. What, um, talk a little bit about the USTA. I mean, what it, we all know it, it, well, I know that it's the, you know, it oversees the US Open and other tours, but what is an association does it do? What else does it do that people might not know? So the United States Tennis Association is a national governing body of tennis in America. Um, their mission is to promote and develop the growth of tennis in America. So ultimately putting a racket in everybody's hand that we possibly can, introducing the sport from a grassroots level all the way up to owning the U.S. Open to mm-hmm. where the proceeds go back down to, to building our sport um, from the grassroots level up. You know, when I was growing up, I had no idea what the USCA did. I knew I played the USCA tournaments. I knew I had a USCA ranking. I became a USCA national coach. And it was really not until I became, I got out of that side where I really realized that the USCA is really a volunteer organization. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there's there's thousands of volunteers around the country. We have 17 sections. And within those sections, there are districts or states that are really have their own home offices that are helping to promote and develop the growth of tennis. And so we are in the, in the business of just putting rackets in hand, not just putting rackets in hands mm-hmm. of others, but also trying to build champions. And we have several programs around the country that are enabling our young players to get from point A to point Z and getting to the professional ranks. But it's really all of the recreational competitive play that's in between that for our our league players, our adult league players. We have tennis on campus for our collegiate players who aren't playing D1 tennis. Um, and they have club tennis on their campuses that these are programs that we've developed. We have our net generation, which is our junior brand, really providing opportunities for our providers and coaches and programs to be even smarter and wiser in how they're running their programs. We have safe sport training and certification to Mm. make sure that everybody that's working with our kids have gone through that safe sport training so that we can have a safe environment for them. So there's a lot that the USCA does, and I'm just been very grateful that I've had a hand in it. Yeah. And what would would you, what would you say would be the hardest part of being a CEO either there or just in general and, and, and the most rewarding? Well, I think when I was at the USCA, it's really, you know, we have so many stakeholders in our in our sport and really trying to get them all to come together and, and collaborate and communicate on the same plane so that we could really strive for success together, as opposed to having, you know, all these different silos that are out there wanting what they want for on an individual or personal yeah. level, as opposed to a collective level. So that was very challenging. I think the rewarding mm. part was bringing people together and, and really yeah. growing our sport. Uh, you know, I had a hand in overseeing our strategic transformation out at the USCA Billie Jean King uh, Tennis Center, 
where the U.S. Open is hosted. So putting a roof over Arthur Ashe Stadium, rebuilding Louis Armstrong Stadium, and really the entire grounds of that facility, as well as uh, constructing from the ground up our USTA national campus down in Orlando, yeah. in the Lake Nona community. And so those are those are definitely some of the things that I'm proud of and, and that will be a part of my legacy uh, as I go forward. Yeah. And what was your what was your playbook on uh, DEI and representation? Because in your book, you did talk about about efforts that you made to to change things, uh, the, change the status quo. Yeah, correct. I mean, we you know, I will applaud the USCA for many years. Um, as, I want to say maybe as I was coming into the boardroom of really focusing on um, diversity and inclusion, now DE&I. And, and, and really hiring our first um, chief of chief uh, diversity and inclusion officer back in 2005. And from there was really trying to grow um, our numbers on, you know, we had four, four pillars or four core pillars for yeah. diversity, which was African-Americans, uh, Hispanics, Asian-Americans, and the LGBTQ plus communities. And so mm-hmm. That's what we wanted to focus on and make sure that we can engage and get, get get these people in our sport and let them know that they're welcome. So over time, it was a matter of making sure that we had those opportunities in place and that the door was always open to welcome mm-hmm. more people in and providing access. It was all about accessibility. And it yeah. was very important that we were accountable in, in our behavior of how we move through the USTA to make sure that we could be stronger, not only in our participants, but really get in our own house in order to make sure that we actually walk the talk and not just did the talking. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Okay. Now in your, in your book, you talk about um, advice for thriving when you're the only one. And you, one of the match points that you made was um, owning, own the table. And what did you mean exactly by that? 
Well, owning the table really means, you know, when you're invited to the table, you're invited to the table for a reason. So make sure you go into that boardroom, into that conference room. You are prepared. You are alert. You are engaged and that you Mm -hmm. are participatory. Too often we get to these rooms finally. Yeah. And we just kind of sit back. And yeah, of course, the first couple of meetings, there's not much to say if you're just kind of learning and being a part of a new group. But make sure that you are in a position to add to the conversation. Um, and that's what I mean by own the table. Don't just be mm-hmm. at the table and push back from it and, and have this fear. Yeah, we're going to have the fear, but don't show it. <laughs> would you say you're fearless? You know, I think a lot of people would say that I'm fearless, but, you know, yeah. I'm human. So, of course, yeah. you're, you're, there's always fear of something, uh, fear yeah. of failure, uh, fear of, of not um, coming correct and, and, and being aware and, and those are the things that you have to make sure that you're working on before you get into these rooms or um, so that you don't, that fear may be there, but you're not really showing it because you have yeah. a lot more of uh, confidence in other areas that will shine brighter. Right. Okay. Speaking of shining brighter, it seems like women's pro sports, you know, just what we've seen at the Olympics just now um, and the Grand Slams, that we're at a tipping point. Um, in terms of the the popularity of of women's sport, but do you think is it just for specific events, or do you think this is something that has momentum to stick around th- year long? No, I think it's well. It obviously has the momentum to stick around year long because we have so mm-hmm. many professional uh, women's sports that are out there that are year long. I mean, obviously, tennis is a global leader. Uh, of women's sport. And, and we were playing all year long, as you mentioned, the U S open is, is in a couple mm-hmm. of weeks. They're in Cincinnati playing yeah. the Western and Southern open right now, but we're in the tail end of the WNBA season. Uh, you've got soccer, you know, you have softball, you have hockey season that's coming up. You know, there's a lot of other leagues that are out there. There's a court, uh, a league called athletes unlimited that, really has softball, lacrosse, volleyball, new professional sports for these young ladies to really continue their athletic career. And so I think we're just at the beginning of really seeing more and more of professional opportunities for women in sport. Uh, I hope so. That's exciting. So you you mentioned Cincinnati, and of course we, you know, us tennis fans saw what when what happened on. I think it was Monday, like Blur's Day, but I think it was Monday with Naomi Osaka having yet another uh, challenging moment with with the press, with press coverage, with the, that pressure. Um, what you know, everybody seems to be much more focused now and thanks to Naomi and, and Simone Biles and others on, on um, mental health, where do you see it fitting in now? Where do you see it going in terms of, are we, are we just at the beginning and things are really going to change or like, how is this going to shake out? I mean, no one knows how it's going to shake out. I mean, I think the important thing is that the conversation is, is, is being had Um, and Naomi kind of, started it back in May with uh, her statement at the French Open of, of not doing post-match conferences. And then it kind of went on from there. And we saw other athletes start to speak up and speak out about their challenges with their mental health or anxiety or other issues. And then players from other sports from many years ago 
kind of got back into the conversation. So this is this isn't anything new. It's just yeah. a matter of now that these players have the power and the confidence to use their platforms to really talk about it and bring awareness. This is about awareness um, for everyone. And when we saw what happened with Simone Biles at the Olympics, would Simone have really spoken out about her fears had this not already been a topic of conversation? Mm. You know, would she have dealt with her twisties and, and caused herself harm or, yeah. or would she have done what she did and, and kind of perhaps even saved her life? So yeah, I think that this is just the beginning of the conversation um, and there's a lot of opportunity to really be able to help not just these professional athletes, but these, you know, our college and high school athletes as well. When you look at what's happening with name, image and likeness mm-hmm. um, in, in college sport, that's actually it's a good thing in one in one sense. And then in the yeah. other, it's putting a lot more pressure on a lot of these yeah. athletes as well, because they have to perform or they have to feel like they have to, you know, do great for their sponsors, uh, et cetera, in addition to their classmates, teammates and, and schools. So uh, it's just the beginning of the conversation, really. Right. And and that's a good point you brought up in terms of the pressure, the uh, nil or name image likeness brings up in terms of what it does for college students. Um, is it going to, do you think it'll change uh, tennis as a sport, if 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 they're looking at that level of of sponsorships of endorsements, you know what I see or what I think is for across college sports is I think it's going to help more than it's going to hurt. It's going to help those athletes who are able to put money in their pocket and mm. survive. Right? I mean, yeah. athletes, student athletes, are 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 unable to work because their work is their practice and their training. Whereas their peer Mm -hmm. is out, maybe having a job, able to put extra money in their pocket. A student student athlete who's on a full scholarship shouldn't be treated any different than a a student who's on a full academic scholarship because they can still go and work. It's not going to jeopardize their their scholarship. And so I think it'll take a lot of pressure off of some of these athletes who may be trying to jump to the pros sooner mm-hmm. than they're ready because yeah. they really do need financial help and, and maybe keep them in school for, you know, that extra year or two or finish their degree. And then when they're fully developed physically, they can come out and, and pursue their career as a professional. But you have a lot of athletes who are borderline just hoping to yeah. get drafted or hoping to get a signing bonus, even if they know they're not going to make the pros, they're going to get some cash that yeah. can help their, their family. And I think this will actually help more than it's going to hurt. That sounds great. So normally I'd be saying, what are you doing the last couple of weeks in August, you know, um, whether on vacation or whatever in the last few, in the last few years, many years, you've been, you know, sweating it out literally at the U S open. What's uh, what's on tap for you this season of the U S open. Well, I'll still be the U.S. Open. Yeah, I'll still be there, but I'll actually be commentating. Uh, I commentated, I used to commentate years before I got into my leadership role at the USTA, and and now I'm back at it, which is great. I was there last year when no one else was on the grounds of in Flushing, Um, but I'll be back. I'm working for the USTA World Feed, so you'll listen to me and and my colleagues on usopen.org, or if you're abroad, uh, typically they're picking up our English commentary. Um, on that respective court that you may be interested in watching. 
So I'll be busy. I also have a book signing um, the middle Saturday of the US Open. So if you are a ticket holder and you'll be out there, please look for me to uh, to get a copy of my book, Own the Arena. Excellent. And it's a terrific book, definitely worth picking up and reading. Um, so I want to get right to the takeaways and um, and thank you so much. We'll, we'll start there. If you don't mind, we've got some good takeaways from your from your book. Absolutely. I mean, I, I have 12 winning match points um, to thrive for in, in the book. And, and three of my favorite are own your courage because you have to have the courage to really step up and step out on the limb, understanding that you are standing on the shoulders of those that came before you. And it's really your duty and obligation to go forward and take it to the other level. But you have to have the courage to do that. And in having that courage, you have to own your voice because you have to be able to speak up and speak out about what it is you want to do and want to accomplish and have a desire to achieve. So make sure you're you know, speaking up, understanding what it is you want to present and, and, and that's going to build your courage that much more. And, and last but not least, own your identity. You know, we as women, I think sometimes in particular are, are always standing back in the shadows and waiting to see what others are, do, are, are doing. But it's been proven that when we have women in the leadership role, that things get done and they get accomplished. So own who you are, own your, your gender, your race, ethnicity, whatever that might be. Don't be afraid of, of speaking up and speaking out about it and, and being confident in who you are. Wow. Thank you. This was amazing. Really appreciate your time today. Uh, really great words to live by. Um, hopefully we'll see you soon. Maybe we'll see you even back in the fall at our sports marketing summit with everyone else. Um, until then, have a safe and uh, cool U.S. Open. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Adweek's Most Powerful Woman in Sports, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Al Manorino, executive produced by Chris Ahrens, and edited by Lane McGibney at Boutwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brain or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 